episode of the feels like 45 podcast i'm dustin ragusa and due to some scheduling issues Cade webb isn't able to join me this week i'm out of town later this week Cade had some stuff going on with work we were supposed to record yesterday which would have been sunday having to record on monday we'll still go through the full agenda hit questions Cade may be able to join later we'll see how that goes if not this will probably be a pretty short episode and then we'll be back at it at our normal recording time Tuesday evening of next week. Wanted to start off this week with a little bit of OSU football news. I know spring football is over. I just wanted to hit a couple of quick notes. I'm in Oates. We mentioned Oklahoma State defensive lineman transfer from NEO. We had mentioned previously when I was able to attend the practice a couple of weeks ago that he was on the bike with an injury. The reason it seems is because he may have broken a bone in his hand, it sounds like it was something that he kind of noticed after practice. There, sounded like there was some bleeding. This was reported uh, by Robert Allen on Pokes Report. Looks like th- maybe maybe that there was a break there. He was on the bike. He looked to be fine. I think he's going to be back for summer and for the fall. I just wanted to hit that. That was one of the injuries we had mentioned, which we didn't have much background on. We obviously saw that he wasn't in pads competing, but he wasn't there. So I just kind of wanted to note that. Also wanted to hit one other quick roster note. We had been made aware that there may potentially be another Oklahoma State transfer entering the transfer portal before the April 30th deadline yesterday. That ended up not happening. It sounds like there still may be a retirement, someone graduating and not being on the football team anymore, which I don't know if that would officially open up a scholarship anytime soon. I haven't been made aware of exactly who that player is. It sounds like it's a depth piece, not a major contributor. If we get any more info on that for the next pod, we'll definitely let you guys know. I'm sure something will come out on Twitter sometime soon, but I can say it's nobody with pretty pretty good confidence that it's nobody that's going to be a major contributor or that we thought would be a major contributor heading into next season. I just got a text from Cade, by the way. It sounds like he will be able to jump on Moving on to the NFL draft, which was this past Thursday through Saturday, had a couple of Oklahoma State players, former players, drafted. Tyler Lacey went first. He was went to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the fourth round, pick number 130 overall. I believe Lacey was at his home in Texas when his name was called. You know, we talked about Tyler Lacey going to the senior bowl, had him listed at 6'4, 285 pounds. He was at the Combine, participated in some things in the uh, pro day at Oklahoma State. He he had a lot of mock drafts. So most of them that I saw, you know, ESPN fifth round, PFF had him sixth round, NFL seventh, CBS sixth round, Walter Football had him as fourth round, Charlie Campbell fourth round, and the athletic fourth round. So averaging out to about a fourth or fifth round pick there. So he was picked in the fourth round. I know when Cade and I talked, we thought he'd be more of a fifth, sixth round pick. Although when 
going into last season, Cade and I were really high on Tyler Lacey. We know he had some injury issues, new defensive coordinator coming in, Derek Mason, and not a shot at Mason or anything. It just kind of took Lacey, it seemed like, a little bit of time to get everything in order, and then he had the injury, and he never really was able to put together a season like we've seen from him this past year. So we had thought originally before last season he could be a second, third-round pick, but he goes in the fourth round. I thought that was a great spot for him. We'll see what he's able to do in Jacksonville. I saw that he was the fourth defensive lineman from Oklahoma State selected in the NFL draft since 2016. So he's joining Jordan Brailford, Emmanuel Ogba, and Vincent Taylor. Along with Tyler Lacey, Jason Taylor is drafted in the seventh round with a 234th overall pick by the Los Angeles Rams. Caden, I mentioned on the pod, we had heard some people talk about him going as high as late second, the early third round. Kate and I both had him as a fifth round guy when we did our draft preview, kind of talking about the draft. I know there was a lot of question marks. He's a he was always a big playmaker, but he did show some ability to, to get burned at times. And I I think that was one of the weaknesses that made him drop a little bit later. Because I think he tested pretty well at the combine. He looked good at Pro Day, even though I know he didn't participate in that many different things. Going into the draft, I saw ESPN had him as a sixth round. PFF had him sixth round, NFL seventh, Walter football fifth round, the athletics sixth round. So him going in the seventh, according to those mock drafts, wasn't too much of a shock. A little bit of shock to Cade and I. I think we had him going a little bit earlier. Along with the guys in the draft, there were several undrafted free agents who've been trying to keep up with. I'm sure there'll be you know, a couple more signed here or there. But so far, we've got Brock Martin to the Las Vegas Raiders. I also wanted to mention they have him listed as an outside linebacker. We know Martin kind of played that Leo position, which was the defensive end linebacker hybrid. He did a lot of linebacker drills at the pro day. I think he's kind of trying to mark. He was trying to market himself more as that versatile linebacker, maybe stand up edge at times. That's what the Raiders have him listed as. Kicker Tanner Brown to the Los Angeles Rams. Long snapper Matt Hembro to the Arizona Cardinals, linebacker Lamont Bishop to the Seattle Seahawks, and wide receiver Braden Johnson to the Buffalo Bills. Out of all of those undrafted free agents, I really think that Hembro probably has the best chance of making a roster. But aside from Hembro, this may shock some people. I really like Lamont Bishop's chances. He was a guy that I thought was going to be a major contributor this season for Oklahoma State at linebacker. We saw him play some kind of stand-up edge when they would go to more of those bare fronts last year with kind of the three down linemen, the two defensive ends. Lamont Bishop is a guy who is extremely athletic. He never, he wasn't able to really ever kind of take the place of Mason Cobb or Xavier Benson, but they really use Derek Mason really used him as kind of a jackknife, Swiss Army knife, all different sorts of roles type linebacker. And if he wouldn't have ran out of eligibility, which was a shock to me when I found out that news, I think it was a shock to him as well. I think he was going to be a major contributor on the defense this season, even with guys like Justin Wright, Xavier Benson, Nick Martin, Jeff Robertson. Colin Oliver, I still think Lamont Bishop would have been in that rotation. And he would have been huge because previously, Cade and I talked about how we think they have five guys. The coaches have five guys at linebacker that they feel really comfortable about. So having that sixth guy in Bishop would have been big time. I'm going to be interested to see what all these guys do. Braden Johnson with his speed, maybe he's able to carve out a spot for himself on special teams with the Bills. Tanner Brown was a solid kicker at Oklahoma State. I think 
someone that myself and other fans included probably took for granted because he was very, very, very accurate in his time at Oklahoma State once he kind of took over for Alex Hale, who went down with the injury a couple of years ago. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens. You know, there's still several players who haven't signed. Talked about guys like CJ Tate, former walk-on wide receiver and guys like that. So we'll see what happens with them. But it was a very interesting draft in general. A lot of trades. You guys know I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. Definitely paying attention to them trading up in the, I believe it was the fourth round to take a quarterback. So things of that nature. A lot of draft, a lot, a lot of trades, a lot of interesting stuff, and several Oklahoma State guys, you know, cracking the the draft boards uh, when when it all was said and done. So we'll keep you posted there on any undrafted free agent stuff. Obviously, update any mini camp, any kind of highlights we see on any of these guys. Kate and I will definitely talk about on the podcast. Moving right along to recruiting. So I wanted to hit a couple of schedule updates for football recruiting. So Oklahoma State, I thought they were done with official visits, but they were actually had one official visitor last week, and we're going to get into him in a minute. But when the semester ends, Oklahoma State, for the next four or five weeks, the coaches are out full-time on the road for evaluations. The players, the current players will return in June and camp season will be underway for recruits. So many camps on the Oklahoma State campus will take place on Sunday, June 4th. There'll be a youth camp on Monday, June 5th. Then specialists, kickers, punters, long snappers, they'll have a camp on Tuesday, June 6th. After a week, the offensive and defensive linemen will have the down and dirty lineman camp, which will be Tuesday, June 13th. Wednesday, June 14th will be quarterbacks, receivers, and defensive backs, which has become known as the show. You guys have heard us probably talk about that on here when the recruits come in for that weekend. Then just before fall camp gets underway to prepare for the 2023 season, the final mini camps will take place that Sunday, July 30th. So that's kind of the breakdown of recruiting. I wouldn't expect to hear a ton of visitor news in the next few weeks with none of the players on campus, no practices going on, but there obviously will be, you know, the coaches out evaluating. So there'll still be some recruiting news. I just think that we've been talking a lot about the visits, especially through the spring with the Saturday practices during the spring, they were able to get a lot of visitors in. So that'll kind of take a, a downtick now that we're moving into this in between time between spring and summer. Now the one official visitor that I was talking about, Micah Capana, it's a 2024 running back, 5'11", 195-pound three-star from Bishop Gorman, which is in Las Vegas. He's the number 57 running back, the number three player in Nevada. He's six foot, 5'11", like I said, 195-ish pounds. Apparently, he's been clocked, I saw, at a 4'4'6 in the 40, which is very fast. Seems like a really strong kid. Doesn't go down on the first hit a lot from the film that I've seen on him. He's very, he, he seems to be very familiar with Oklahoma state running back Jalen Warren. He, he mentioned him in several interviews and quotes that I saw last season. He rushed for just over a thousand yards and 15 touchdowns on only 70 carries. He also played slot receiver and had almost 200 yards and four receiving touchdowns. He does punt return, kick return, play special teams. Along with Oklahoma State, he had offers from Arizona State, BYU, Hawaii, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico State, Utah, and Washington State. Oklahoma State was his first official visit, and I saw that he hasn't set 
any other officials at this point, but it sounds like from the interviews that I saw that he is going to take some further official visits. So we'll kind of see where it lands, but he seemed to really like Oklahoma State. He said Benny Tonga is his guy. He said Benny knows everybody. So Benny Tonga, again, coming up clutch for Oklahoma State in recruiting. He's also of Hawaiian descent. He's from Hawaii, I believe, originally. So Deshaun Stribling was his host for his official visit. Stribling is also, I think we've mentioned on here before, is also from Hawaii. So pretty interesting. It's really cool that those guys kind of got to link up. I think that was a great pick as his host for the official visit. So we'll we'll see where things go with Campana. I think he's definitely somebody to watch. Bishop Gorman is a really well-known high school out of Las Vegas. I think this is the type of guy who maybe even breaks out a little bit more next season, picks up a little bit more. But getting the number three player out of Nevada, especially somebody positive at the running back position when you know guys like C.J. Brown have come in and left. You still got Ollie Gordon there, but having some of these younger guys coming in got Sissy Velahi coming in next year or this upcoming year, but having these other guys coming in would be big time. So we'll kind of see where that goes. And I, I think he's definitely a name to watch. All right. That's all we have for football this week. I think Kate is going to be joining us soon. He just, like I said, he shot me a text a little bit ago. So we'll hear a quick, we'll have a quick break and then we'll jump into basketball. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right, FEELS12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code FEELS12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the FEELS Like 45 podcast is All right, on to basketball. The major news this week, obviously, as it has in the past several weeks, is the transfer portal. I believe the transfer portal is open till May 11th for players to enter. They obviously can commit any time after that. So we'll see how that goes. We know there's a ton. Caden, I mentioned there's a ton of players in the portal. I'm not sure if all of them are going to find landing spots, kind of like what happened with the football transfer portal. But even though Oklahoma State has struck out on a few guys here and there, there are still a lot of names out there. They also players, Kate and I talked about, they have it until June 1st is the last, last day to withdraw from the draft and uphold their college of eligibility. And speaking of Cade, we have him joining us right now. Cade, can you hear me? I can hear you. Do you have awesome. me? Cade, you are, you are in perfect timing. I just started basketball talking about the transfer portal. I just mentioned that the portal, I believe, closes, correct me if I'm wrong, but May 11th for players to enter. And then we talked about, you, you know, they have until June 1st to withdraw from the draft and uphold their college eligibility. So that's after the portal closes. So those players would probably have to return to their 
current school, but just kind of giving an overview of the schedule going forward. And I was about to just hit a couple of the players that entered for Oklahoma State. Well, what I'll say is this before we get started. Um, I hope you have good news in the transfer portal because right now things are looking a little dicey. And I know we'll get to this. And Dustin, thank you for breaking down the calendar. And, and thank you for getting this rolling before I could even get home. I had a work conflict come up unforeseen. But I'm here, and a big thank you to you, Dustin. Um, obviously, Oklahoma State's got some work to do in the portal. Um, and there are some important dates, yes. But at the same time, I think a lot of Oklahoma State fans, myself included, just kind of looking around, wondering as, you know, kind of guy after guy after guy commits elsewhere, what's coming up next. So excited to kind of dive into that with you and see where Oklahoma State may be looking next. Yeah, so just to kind of recap the past week since we recorded last Cade, Tariq Smith, we already knew he was transferring. He's committed to SMU. Chris Harris has entered the transfer portal, which you and I thought was pretty much a guarantee. Either that or they figured out some way to pick up his scholarship with NIL to where they would kind of release that because we know Chris Harris, it's been a tough road for him with all of the injuries and everything, but it's it's just kind of a a tough spot for him to continue to eat up that scholarship and not really be able to play. And I know it's, it's not, we don't want to talk about a kid in that manner, but it's definitely, I think it was the best move for both parties. And then along with Harris and Newton deciding and then entering Woody Newton has transferred to George Mason. And I kind of wanted to get your take on the Smith and the Chris Harris, but Smith and Newton, those seems like those seem like a little bit steps down, right? I know people were, Every time someone enters the portal, you get a little bit, oh, man, what's going on with the program? But it's almost like, did they transfer because they that maybe they came to a mutual agreement with Coach Boynton that maybe they wouldn't get as much playing time? He'd want to play some younger guys, wanted to look for some new guys in the portal because I know George Mason, you know, four more Final Four in 2006, but SMU and George Mason, I don't think are as prominent historically programs as Oklahoma State. I know Oklahoma State hasn't been great recently, but all that to say, I just wanted to get your take on that. I, I would agree with you on all of that. George Mason, uh, however, has been to the same amount of Final Fours as Oklahoma State in the last like 20 years. So uh, you could make that argument. But no, I agree with you, uh, maybe in the um, at least that the theory of it being a mutual decision is not off base. I'll say this. I, I would hope that if you do that and, and there is a mutual decision that this is not going to work, that you have something lined up that you feel really good about. I, I mean, Woody Newton, let's just look, look at him as an example. The Chris Harris story is unfortunate that it ended this way, but he couldn't stay healthy. Let's look at Woody Newton as an example. He did some good things and he did some bad things last year. Overall, he was a C player on your roster right now, Dustin, Oklahoma State has like two C players on their transfer portal radar right now that we know about. And I'm sure that there's plans that, you know, you and I may not be as privy to as, as we'd like. But at the same time, um, it does look like a step down. But I have a hard time believing that the way the roster is right now, you feel comfortable about pushing a guy like Woody Newton out. I, I get it from a standpoint of, well, you can build through the transfer portal. You can. I just I hope that 
Mike Boynton and, and Oklahoma State feel good about what's coming from the transfer portal because I'll remind you, Woody came from the transfer portal. So it's just a, a little bit of a concerning situation, at least for me. And it's going to be interesting, Cade, too, with Woody Newton to see what happens with his eligibility because I know we'll get to this in a minute with Musa Cisse because we got a question about it later in the podcast and some concerns over his eligibility with transferring twice. But with Tyreek Smith, I believe he was a graduate transfer, so all's fine there with his, his eligibility. Woody Newton, on the other hand, is going to have to get a waiver. It sounds like a lot of guys are applying for waivers. When the portal for, first opened, it was almost like, yeah, just apply for one. The NCAA probably won't get to it in time. You'll probably be eligible. But it seems like now some schools are a little bit wary of guys transferring twice because – it sounds like that was some of the issue with where Woody Newton was going to land and maybe why he eventually went to George Mason and why Cissé still hasn't found a home. Sorry, I couldn't get off the unmute button. I think you're absolutely right. And I think one of the things that uh, – I, I loved Mike Boynton's comments on this last week. He said something to the effect of, you have no guarantee that the NCAA is going to enforce anything, which he's absolutely correct about. At the same time, however, um, I I don't feel as though it's a, a really defensible spot to be in where you're basically saying, well, yeah, the NCAA is going to do whatever they want. That's true, um, but I, I think you can't let it get to that point. And so for a guy like Musa Cisse, uh, who is in his you know second transfer, sure, the NCAA may not enforce anything, but is it really – I don't know. Is it Moose's fault for trying his options at that point? I'm just trying. It's it's actually more complicated in basketball, I think, because there's so many more ready-made positions for a guy like Musa Cisse. Like a, a team like Arkansas, for example, could use a Musa Cisse right now, and and he and them would benefit from it. So it's a little bit different to me than it is in football. Uh, it's it's just a complicated situation, and so um, I I don't fault the way Mike Boynton has handled it as long as there's something in the wings. Yeah, I, I completely agree with the takes on both sides of that from CSA's point of view and from Coach Boynton's. It's just going to be interesting to see how it goes with some of these waivers and if the NCAA really gets to some of them in time and says, no, you can't play, you have to sit out a year after you've transferred. It's just kind of crazy, especially – the fact that some of these guys are taking chances, I get that they're taking it probably for these increased NIL deals, but to have to sit out, especially when you're someone with NBA aspirations, seems like it wouldn't be the best move. So we'll kind of see where that goes. But Cade, you you kind of segued us into the next spot talking about Boynton's plan going forward. A lot of the guys that we've mentioned on this podcast have either landed somewhere else or cut Oklahoma State out of their list. It's pretty much down to, and there's one guy I want to get to in a second who just took a visit, but outside of him, there's Yaron Hassan, who we mentioned, the big man from UConn, who doesn't have a lot of playing time. He's got three years of eligibility left, 6'9", 205-pound forward. I haven't seen him really cut a list down or anything like that, but Trey White from USC, seeing him projected to go to Louisville. He's on an official visit there. Glenn Taylor Jr., I believe he just committed to St. John's, a guy we thought Oklahoma State might be in the mix for. There's Greg Glenn the third, but outside of that, you know, some of the guys we've been talking about, you know, your your Seamus Lucosis from Butler, he committed to Cincinnati, a guy you and I thought Oklahoma State had a really good chance at. Noah Thomason 
he's got a top five, the the Niagara point guard, he or the Niagara guard. He's got a top five with no OSU in the mix. Joel Brown from Cal has committed to Iona. RJ Lewis from UMass. It's looking like Louisville for him, but if they were to get Trey White, maybe that opens him up a little bit. And then Wells from TCU is committed to McNeese. So of the guys we know about that OSU has you know, expressed interest in that we've seen on Twitter that we, that you and I have maybe heard about either on message boards or from somebody, they pretty much all committed (laughs) except for the few guys that I mentioned. Do you see that as an issue right before you got on? I mentioned that there's still a ton of players in the portal. Guys keep entering every day. They still will for the next 10 days. I, I don't think it's time to panic yet. I saw your tweet this weekend about you hovering over the panic button. <laughs> I think, I think that's a very, I mean, I think that's a true take. I know you were, you were joking, kind of being serious, kind of joking, but is it, is it full on panic mode yet? Or should we wait until that May 11th date? No, I meant exactly what I said. I am hovering <laughs> over the panic button. I'm, and, and I might just be looking at it, you know, kind of like out of the side of my eye, because I do think that there's, there's a lot of time left us. And there are guys, I said this last week, so I can't, what I won't do is be wishy-washy uh, one week to the next and say, well, it's not an IL, now it's an IL. I won't do that. But I do think this is getting to a critical juncture where you're not replacing what's leaving. And I think it becomes hard to guarantee a Seamus Lucosius, for example, that you're going to have a really good roster around you. I honestly think the the recruiting win to get Javon Small was a really impressive one for that reason, because Javon Small is basically coming in sight unseen. He trusts that there's going to be another big man. He trusts that there's going to be a three-point shooter to be able to dish the rock to. But if there's not, Dustin, they're going to be in a really tough spot, and so will Javon Small. So I don't think it's time to panic. Again, I'm hovering over it. I'm looking at it out of the corner of my eye. But it is not full-blown panic time. I'll remind you, I think Tyreek Smith committed in June. Historically, Mike Boynton is a late player in the transfer portal. And I think it might point to why that the, they haven't necessarily struck gold out of the transfer portal quite yet, is they tend to be a little bit later to the game on some of these guys. The other thing I'll say is I do think NIL plays a hand in this. I'm not going to you know downplay the entire existence of that in this in this conversation. But what I will say is I think losing a guy like Seamus Lucosius to an, an in-conference now team in Cincinnati that is really not on your level quite yet. Maybe they are on your level, but they're certainly somebody you should be competing with. I think that is the reason I'm kind of looking at the panic button. Not necessarily that he went somewhere else, that he went somewhere else in conference to a school that's not even really been in it yet. And I think that that is a risky play on his part, but maybe he saw it as not as risky as coming to Oklahoma State. Yeah, it's that was a tough one, Kate, because that's one you and I, and let me know if I'm speaking incorrectly for you, but I think you and I thought Oklahoma State maybe 70, 75% chance to land him. So I, I just think that that was a tough loss, but – to your point, there's still a lot going on. Boynton's been kind of a late bloomer there. I just don't really know how you can freak all the way out yet, but I think your call of hovering over the panic button is 100% where I'm at as well. One positive note, after all that negative, Bryant 
Selabangu from Tulsa. He just visited this past weekend. I think I, I wasn't aware of that visit until after it had happened. I don't know if you were. He's a 6'8", 227-pounder forward. He just finished his sophomore season. He'll have a couple years of eligibility left. He played at Hutchinson Community College in Kansas, which very familiar with their you know, junior college football acumen. Absolutely. Everybody who played baseball there as well. Not don't know as much about their basketball program, but they also he also played after that at Florida Southwestern State, then at Tulsa. He started in 30 of all 30 of the games he played in, averaged all averaged 12 points, nearly 62% shooting, 9.2 rebounds. He's not a shooter. I don't even think he attempted a three, but he's a big guy. And he's this is the big guy, Cade. You know, we we're talking about Yaron Hassan. You and I were not super in on that. Just he's great as an experience piece, but I think you need a more experienced guy to come in and maybe split minutes at the beginning of the season while Garrison gets his feet wet. I think Silvangu is big time if you can yeah. land him. I'm not saying he's a rock star, all Big 12 guy, but he's the, I think, the perfect big guy piece for this roster. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This is one that if Oklahoma State doesn't land, I am, I am like, like finger on the panic button, Ooh, may not press it yet because. He's the perfect fit, and he's coming in from Tulsa. It's like, if you can't get that guy, who are you going to go get? Yeah, and sorry, kid, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to mention while you were saying that, it sounded like he was going to make his decision today. So it's Oklahoma State and Arizona State he just visited, and I think San Diego State and UCF were also in the mix for the Montreal-Quebec product. But I haven't seen anything. I checked his Instagram earlier. I've been trying to check Twitter. I'm on Twitter as we speak. Sorry, listeners. I'm not giving you my full attention right this second. But (laughs) to your point, and I'll kick it back to you, I think this would be a great get. He may announce, though, by the time this podcast is released. Well, that would be fantastic. You gave me a little uh, scoop there. It's been a busy day at work. I hadn't had a chance to. But I'll, I'll give you a little scoop back. Mutual following of OSU men's basketball. They follow him. He follows them. So, like uh, you know, I'm always here for the, uh, the tea leaves, so to speak. So I'll say this and, and then I'll wrap up the point on him. He is the perfect fit for what this team needs right now. I think a 12 and 10 type of guy, would you take that Dustin, a guy that can actually oh, score inside can score inside and can be physical. I'll say this on this tape too. There's some, um, offensive, acumen that I think that Oklahoma State's been missing in the post for all that Musa Cisse and Caleb Boone you know I, I guess you shouldn't say Caleb Boone doesn't bring offensive acumen I'm more talking from the five he's a big bodied guy who can score they have not had that in a long time yeah and the thing is you know hopefully he's not listening to this but you can kind of tease him <laughs> with the fact that right now you're competing with a true freshman for the, yeah, starting, right. for the starting starting I mean, you and I both know that's Brandon Garrison coming in, but maybe Silabangu doesn't pay as much attention to the high school recruiting rankings. So kind of dangle that carrot out there for him, get him in there. And then he's a depth piece who has the, you know, maybe the potential of being a solid guy who could split minutes at least next season with Garrison because well, almost a double double. I know Tulsa was, not very good last year, but almost a double double for anybody at the D one level is pretty good. I would say. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And I, I even think that, uh, in Silla case, he's in the American, like that's not a, I mean, honestly, it's the next best non power five conference. You could make a case that 
because of Houston's emergence in that conference, Wichita State over the years, um, that that is Memphis even. That's a good basketball conference. He knows what it would what it would be like to play at this level. I, I think would be a fantastic get and solidifies things a little bit going forward. We just talked about the uncertainty on the roster, how difficult it is to recruit playmaking to that. Well, now all of a sudden you go in and you pull a 12 and 10 guy out of the portal at, at the five. You pull in a you know 15 and five guy in Javon Small. Now you can start to see the pieces kind of coming together a little bit. And things look a lot different, which is why this entire offseason I've cautioned, you know, smashing the panic button. But I, I do think the the critique of it is warranted at this point. I just think that if you get him, you're in a better spot. No question. I agree. I agree completely. Kate, there wasn't really much else on basketball. Did you have any other names? I know there's still tons of guys entering the portal. I mentioned that right before you came on, which I think I've already told you I mentioned that. But Anybody else that you wanted to call out before we move on? And I wanted to hit one other thing before we move on as well, but any other names? Not necessarily that I can think of. I mean, Glenn Taylor, St. John's, that's a big one. I think that Oklahoma State was in on. You mentioned that earlier. Um, No, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what Oklahoma State does, though. Um, You've got four scholarship spots open right now. And that's that's not with that's with the assumption that they don't take the NCAA penalty. That's with Javon Small added to the roster, so they've got some work to do, man. I mean, and they need to do it right now. Yeah. Okay. Before we move to baseball, softball, and the roundup, without you, I hit I hit one small recruiting note. Micah Camp, Campana's visit. I hit NFL draft though. I wanted to ask you one question, and let me know if you have any takes on where Lacey and Taylor went. I kind of just recap yeah. that. You and I thought Tyler Lacey originally would be a second or third round guy. After how the season played out, we thought he was probably a fifth or sixth round guy. He, he right. actually went in the fourth. We thought Jason Taylor was probably a fifth round guy. He went in the seventh. So not way off there. But what I wanted to ask you is out of the undrafted free agents. So let me let me read them off to you so I'm just not like yeah, bombarding you. you because I appreciate you <laughs> hopping on. So we've got... We've got Brock Martin to the Las Vegas Raiders. I mentioned that they have him listed as an outside linebacker, which is interesting. We know he went through a lot of linebacker drills at his pro day trying to market himself as that, so that was interesting. Brock Martin to the Raiders, Tanner Brown to the Rams, Matt Hembro to the Cardinals, Lamont Bishop to the Seahawks, and Braden Johnson to the Bills. Let's take Hembro off the table because the listeners okay. know our <laughs> thoughts about him. Out of those other guys, I said, I think Lamont Bishop might have oh. the best chance to make a team. And I'm having, I kind of had to go back into the archives of my brain, which no one should ever do. That's a weird spot to be. But Lamont Bishop is someone you and I loved when they used him as that third linebacker last year. They used him in some of those bare front looks. He played edge. He played linebacker. I think both you and I, before they got Justin Wright and before we knew he was out, yep. Bishop was out of eligibility, we thought he was going to be a starting linebacker. Yeah, you're spot on. And the folds of your brain are sharp because that is exactly what we thought. And that was a long time ago. I love the Lamont Bishop call out. I'll go a little bit uh, just for the sake of conversation. I think Tanner Brown could be an NFL kicker for a long time. I mean, you've seen Dan Bailey do it. You've seen great call. Now Matt Amendola go through a couple of rosters that hasn't worked out great. But if we're talking about kicking or playing on Sundays, I'll take Tanner Brown to be maybe 
as much a sure thing as Lamont Bishop. I love the call, though. He really flashed late in the year and was to the point where it's like it was kind of a bummer to not have him back this year because we thought he would be for a starting spot. Yeah, I completely agree. I love the Tanner Brown call. Any hey, other I'll takes say, on the draft? Yeah, yes. I'll say this. Tyler Lacey going in the fourth round after mine and your discussion last week about him probably fifth, sixth, maybe even early seventh was a big surprise to me. It was awesome <laughs> to look down. I don't follow the draft like that closely. I, I'm looking. I've got the notifications on. But that was a, a surprise to me. Was it to you? The funny – yeah, it was to answer your question. The funny thing is, though – it's almost closer to our original take I know. before the season when we said he's probably a third, late second, third round guy, and then he goes in the fourth. Is this where we announced that we're launching our NFL scouting service? Uh, because <laughs> we were dead, almost dead on in the preseason. Now, our assessment uh, postseason, it's funny. Like They took the, the median and just said that's what he is, and yeah. I think they got great value. And the way they talked about him was pretty interesting, too. The production isn't off the charts. But he's very active, and I loved that breakdown uh, that we that you posted on the uh, on the feels like forty five Twitter. So I think a great landing spot for him. I think Jason Taylor though is in a great situation oh, yeah. in Los Angeles. They need defensive back help, especially at the safety spot. I I, th- I think I mean he's obviously going to make a roster. He's drafted. They spent a draft pick on him. But I I think he could see like considerable time within the next two years. I don't think he's going to come in and do a Malcolm Rodriguez thing, but I do think that he's in a really good fit, and uh, I'm excited to see what what happens with Jason. Yeah, I, I I love that take, and just to let you in on this, I had a little bit of a just kind of guess, an uneducated guess, obviously coming from me, but why he maybe fell a little bit, and why some people had him a little bit higher, but then he goes in the seventh. I, I almost think the playmaking ability where he's always in the right spot, Jason Taylor, the playmaker, was seen as a negative to some teams oh. at the NFL level because he's it's not like he's a four four guy. He what what ran four five six, I believe, yeah, at the combine. Right. Good athleticism, not great. I think a risk taker like that may be because we did see him get beat. At times, he right. made plays, but he also got beat. And I think that mindset at times might be a little scary for some NFL teams if they're not able ball. to kind of get him to change his ways. Because at the NFL level, can he make those plays that he was making at the Big 12 D1 college level? I could be completely off base there. I did see you know, him getting beat listed on some websites, on some breakdowns as a weakness for him. But I, I kind of took it a little bit of a step yeah. further and made that assumption. I could be way off base. It's just one of my I thought. That no, I, I, I that's a really like thoughtful uh, perspective on him. He in the NFL, all they're going to want you to do is be in the right spot at the right time and not get burnt. And, you know, I, I think back to there was a play that I, I can't remember the game, but no, it was a Texas game. He baited Quinn Ewers into throwing the ball. He was standing on the hash waiting uh, for Quinn Ewers to throw it, knowing if he does, I'm picking this ball off. If in the NFL, they're going to see that. They're going to scheme a go route down the down the middle of the seam, and it's going to be a bad day for Jason Taylor. So I love exactly what you're saying, and I could see that. I do think he's got the instincts, though, and he's probably smart enough to stay out of those conflicting yes, situations definitely. that that – teams are going to put him in in the NFL 
but that's the nature of a of a safety in the NFL. They're going to always put you in conflict. And hopefully the passing game in the Big 12 translates like some of the route concepts that you see, uh, you know, a Texas run. It's not necessarily NFL in nature, but a, a K-State is not that far off. It shouldn't be that big of a surprise. So I, I, I think he's got the intellect to figure that out. Yeah, I agree. And I personally think, like, I, I reiterate your thoughts. I think he's going to be a really good player. So I'm excited to see what happens. And, Kate, I think that was, yeah, that was all I hit without you. A couple of little mini notes on spring football. But I'm ready to get in baseball and softball. We already took our ad break earlier. Hey, so we got you covered there. Hey, thanks so. for rolling with the dang show without me, <laughs> Dustin. I really appreciate it. Again, that's kind of a rare thing. That meeting went two and a half hours long, so I apologize. Uh, but let's get into it. I mean, you want to start with baseball? Yeah. So baseball They're putting on their big boy of, pants right now, aren't they? They are. They had a nice weekend, won both games against Michigan. It was a little odd. There was bad weather in Oklahoma. Neither softball or baseball was in Oklahoma, but they still had issues with the weather. <laughs> yeah. There was bad weather all over. Oklahoma State ended up canceling their game Friday night. That's why they only played two games instead of three in their series with Michigan. Wasn't really that much of a surprise to me, a non-con series this late in the season. I'm sure both teams were like, yeah, let's just not do a doubleheader. Don't want to get anybody hurt. But Oklahoma State wins 5-3. to three in the series opener, Aiden Root, another solid performance for him after we mentioned it last, last time we talked about him, tons of inconsistency this season. He's had two good outings in a row. He's five and one on the season. Now Theron Watts Brown, a little bit better outing still looked a little all over the place. I, I just think that soreness, that one long outing earlier in the season probably didn't help. I think it, you know, if he's back at Oklahoma State next year, I think he'll be even better. I think there's just some issues with the soreness there, but he wasn't terrible. And then Stebbins came in with the save. Binge and Earhart were kind of the main guys at the plate. Wolford and Mindham had a good outing there. That was Michigan's one shot, I thought, to win because that was when the guy I talked about on last week's podcast, O'Hallerhan, he came in. He pitched pretty well, but Oklahoma State was able to beat him. Then they come out and win game two, eight to five. It felt like a bigger win than that. They were up a lot more earlier. That got Oklahoma State to 30 and 13 on the season. Ben Abram, another, you know, good performance. I, I would say maybe a strong yeah. performance. It's not it's not dominating from a starting pitcher, but he's been your kind of most solid starting pitcher so far. A guy we didn't even know was gonna start. He didn't start very many games in his career at OU. He was more of a relief guy. Then Evan O'Toole and Drew Blake and Isaac Stebbins kind of finished it off. Stebbins with two saves on the weekend. Wolfert, again, had a nice game. Binge was good. Zach Earhart homered. Him being back in the lineup has been great. Oklahoma State, all-around good weekend, Cade. Even with the flu running through the team, Rock Riggio didn't even make the trip. So he doesn't play at second base at all. I mean, what were your kind of takeaways? Didn't you really get to watch? I had to listen to both games on the yeah, radio because I couldn't figure out how to watch Big Ten Plus. <laughs> well, I I couldn't either, and so it made it very complicated. It was already a crazy busy weekend for us. Where I don't know if you know this, Dustin. My wife's thirty eight weeks pregnant, so uh, I'm building dressers, <laughs> I'm building bookshelves. I mean, there's not a lot of baseball watching going on, but I will say. I can't believe that they're even able to play baseball games in Ann Arbor, Michigan in the spring. I can't believe that they're able to get through that without weather being a consistent issue. So it was good to see them get two. 
in this weekend. And again, I think my main takeaways are on a little bit of a depleted roster, depleted, you know, knowing that everybody had the flu, Rock didn't make the trip. I think the pitching is the the highlight in most cases for me. Um, again, it is uh, a, a series against Michigan that we predicted a sweep in, and that's what they got. Don't get too high on your high horse, but it's seven in a row. And after um, what was that series a couple weeks ago, Dustin? Um, can't remember. We were kind of pressing the panic button on OSU baseball, the West Virginia series. Um, now they're kind of riding the ship. They return home to East Tennessee State this weekend. That's another sweepable series. Oklahoma State should feel really good about the direction things are heading, especially knowing that the pitching, you know, especially Ben Abram, they continue to move things along. Yeah, and you get to rest Carson Binge's arm again, so not not terrible there. Earhart being back, he's got elite speed. He's been awesome on the base path. I believe he had one stolen base. He advanced on some pass balls. Carson Binge and Marcus Brown each had four hits. Like I mentioned earlier, Wolfert with another big weekend. Schubert, you wanted him to do well. He He's a Michigan guy. He had committed to Michigan, decommitted, and went to Oklahoma State. He struggled a bit. I think only one hit on the weekend. And, you know, the, the relief pitching has still looked pretty good. So they play ORU this week, who's not ranked. They're 82 in RPI. They lost to ORU in Stillwater uh, earlier this year on April 11th, I believe. And this one's in Tulsa. So we'll kind of see how that goes. And then they finish with K-State, who's number 57 in RPI at home after that East Tennessee State series that you talked about. And then OU away in Norman, who's number 59 in RPI. They're currently sitting at second in the Big 12 standings. K-State is right behind them in third. West Virginia's in front of them. If you go 5-1 and one in the K-State and OU series, you've got a really good chance, I think, of finishing the regular season in first. They've got one of the best not or just overall records in the Big 12 as well. It's kind of hilarious because I, I know you and I got – pretty negative a couple weeks ago on this team. And now they may win the, they still have a chance to win the big 12 regular season. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I think the last couple of weeks have quelled some anxiety. I mean, they need Watts Brown to be better, but at the same time, the pitching has looked better. The team has looked more solid. They could have folded and, and it really let this turn into a, a snowball type of situation almost how the softball team has has gone the last couple of weeks. This has not snowballed on them. They have righted the ship. And again, an East Tennessee State series and a game against Oral Roberts, that's not a throwaway game at this point in the series at, at this point in the season. You need to win those games. Um and again, K State, that's a sweepable series. Then you travel to Norman. That's going to be a difficult one on the road. Uh and I love your number. I, I think it needs to be five and one. Yeah. Uh, East Tennessee State, just some quick notes on them. They're not ranked. D1 baseball, they're really high in RPI. They actually, their stats are kind of interesting. They're 49 in batting average, but 163rd in on-base percentage. And that's because they're 243rd in walks. So they never get walked. So the Oklahoma State in the field, they need to be ready to go because these guys are going to hit the ball in play. Oklahoma State's, you know, 15th in fielding percentage or 17th in fielding percentage. They're a good fielding team. But uh, the rest of East Tennessee State stats are 164th in homers, 131st in ERA, 141 in whip, 116 in strike to walkout ratio, 104th in fielding. Just a year ago, though, their first winning record in conference play since joining Misocon 
oh, wow. the 2015 season. Got a couple starting pitchers who are okay. Nobody that pops like an O'Hallorhan from Michigan. Lyndon Schmitty, Colby Stewart, Austin Imminer, and Nathaniel Tate, or as I like to call him, Nate Tate. Those guys are your starters. And then Cade Carlson and Derek McCarley have been kind of the best out of the pin. McCarley's has has the most saves on the team. At the plate, Nick Ionatone, he is batting over 400. Cameron Cisneros, Cody Miller, and Garrett Wallace are all over 300. Wallace and Cisneros are the power hitters. Just some names for you to watch. I haven't watched a ton of East Tennessee State. Just kind of digging into them a little bit. Those are some guys to keep a lookout for. I think they sweep this weekend. Really not that worried about it. Obviously, it'll help the RPI just to get a good sweep in, but more focused on K-State and OU as we wrap up and head into postseason play. You want to try to win as many as you can. Obviously, that's always the goal, but especially since you have a chance to win the regular season Big 12. Yeah, 100%, Dustin. I mean, that would be a huge boost, I think, to the perception of the program a lot of negativity like if 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 you get on this website called Twitter where everybody's generally super positive you'd be surprised at how negative the conversation is about Oklahoma State baseball at times and i think that would be a huge boost you'd feel better about going into the postseason with a you know regular season quote unquote conference championship under your belt um absolutely a a pivotal couple of weeks for cowboy baseball no question about it but i think it gets you into a situation where you know, you're going to run into some teams in Arlington that, you know, West Virginia gave you some fits, Texas. I know you won that series, um, but TCU gave you some fits. So uh, we'll see what wrongs they write over the next couple of weeks to, to try to win the Big 12. Yeah, completely agree. Moving on to softball. They had the issue with the weather as well. Had to play a doubleheader on Saturday. And Cade, I don't want to make that an excuse. <laughs> But that truly was, I think, the reason they lose the second game. They win the first game 10-1. to 1. They lose the second game 4-3. to 3, And then they win the final game, which is the next day on Sunday, 8-0. to 0. So yeah. the, the first game and the third game, they won by a combined 18-1. to 1, And then they <laughs> lose the second game of the doubleheader. I know Coach Gajewski does not like to do the doubleheaders in conference play. I'm sure he was pretty upset about that. His radio show, I believe, was taped today, so we didn't get a chance to listen to it before the pod. But it, it was just tough because you see the pitching. Kelly Maxwell is great in game one. Hillfoil, I thought, was good enough to win the game in game two. And then Kyra Acock comes out with a shutout in game three against a really good hitting Texas Tech team. Claire Tim. Gets the start at third base over Bloodworth. is something you and I had talked about previously. She gets three hits on the weekend. Looks pretty good in the field. They move Talon Edwards to the nine hole, which gave me Chelsea Alexander vibes in previous years. You know, we saw her, a high average hitter, hitting in the nine spot. Tim's at seven. So you put two good hitters kind of around Taylor Tuck, the catcher in that eight spot. Gives you, Edwards didn't have a great series at the plate, but I think going forward, I like this because you could get Edwards on base to bring Becker up, who's batting, what, 426 or right. whatever she's batting. So I liked all those moves that Coach Gajewski made. He talked about he'd been kind of trying to be a little more emotionless out on the field, not to get down or anything like that. But he said he talked with the coach, he talked to the players. They want him to get back to his old self, even if that means, you know, sometimes when a player strikes out, He's dropping his head. The girls know that he'll get over it. They should get over it, get back out there. But they want that emotional Kenny back on the field. And he seemed to be that this weekend. 
Okay, the other thing I wanted to hit with Kelly Maxwell, we didn't get to hit this on the last episode. She has a blister on her left pointer finger that continues to rip. It's been going on for the past couple of years when she throws her rise ball. The seams of the softball rip her finger open. She has to super glue it every inning. So we talked about her facing some adversity. We finally got the answer to that. It is a blister that just continues to rip. And when it rips, oh. it's bleeding and she can't pitch with that. So that's been tough. They say it'll heal with rest. She never really rested last offseason with the Olympics and going straight into fall ball. I think they're going to rest her after the season and see how it looks heading into next year. But, you know, I, I didn't think the team played bad. I I'm really talking that loss up, and maybe it's the Homer in me, the OSU fan, through it being a doubleheader because they dominated this Texas Tech team in the other two games. Yeah, and it's a game that gets uh, decided in the eighth inning. So it's just a little bit fluky in general. You got the doubleheader, and then this game goes long. It's tough. It's very interesting what you said, though, about Kenny Gajewski, you know, trying to change up some of his emotion and the way he acts on the field. I've never really considered that as something that uh, he needs to work on necessarily. So uh, an interesting note there. But um, you hope, Dustin, that they get this figured out quickly because <laughs> – that there's not a whole lot of time left uh, for, for the Cowgirls to uh, to get things going the right direction. Yeah, and Cade, you know, some of the batters that we talked about, Factor, Naomi, Wark, they all had four hits this weekend after not having a ton of success through that losing streak. They get North Texas this week. Michaela Wark will face her sister at North Texas. They're number 83 in RPI. They beat them 2-0 earlier in the season. And then you got OU to wrap it up in Stillwater, they're number one in batting average. They're number one in D1 softball's rankings. They're number one in RPI, on-base percentage, ERA, and fielding percentage. Jada Coleman, Tierra Jenkins, Kinsey Hansen, Alyssa Brito, they're all batting above 400. So to put that in comparison, and Haley Lee's almost there, to put that in comparison, OSU, who's one of the top, number four in RPI, OSU, has only Rachel Becker batting above 400. On the mound, Jordy Ball, Nicole May, and Alex Duraco. Have all pitched 80 plus innings and have all have all have ERAs of 1.1 or lower and whips below 0.85. OSU, who's a has Lexi Kilfoyle, Kelly Maxwell, Kyra Acock, none of them have a whip below 0.92 or an ERA below 1.47. I'm not trying to like cheer for OU right now. I just wanted to lay all that out there because. It's going to be very difficult for Oklahoma State to win a game in this series, much less win the series. But I still think they can grab on, Cade. Yeah, I mean, the way you laid that out, that is, um, they're shockingly good. And they just, I mean, Jocelyn is not even there anymore, and they're yeah. that good. Um, that's quite the bummer. So no question that a huge series comes up for Oklahoma State softball as they have Oklahoma, Bedlam. We've been waiting for this series all year. Um, I know Dustin and I have especially, but I know everybody listening. That's the showdown that we've all been waiting for. And uh, it's this Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Stillwater. Tickets sold out you're gonna have a hard time getting in if you don't already have one so uh absolutely figure out a way to watch or get there um i think the the main espn is carrying the saturday night saturday night game 
So absolutely fantastic exposure for this program, for the university that we all love. So uh, just a huge weekend in general for softball, uh, women's sports, Oklahoma State cowgirl softball, big weekend. Um, and I, I'll give my prediction. Dustin had to hop off. He he pulled a Cade on me and uh, he had to hop off for the end of the podcast. But I'll say this. I think they get one. If they were able to pull off a win in this series, I I would be over the moon. I don't see it happening. I echo Dustin's sentiment that it's going to be very tough to win a game. I think they're going to get one, though. I think this the entire season has been pointing to this series. I think the Cowgirls come in and they get one at the very least, which is nothing to uh, raise an eyebrow at. So um, before we get to listener questions, again, signing off solo here, we're going to take one quick break and say a quick thank you to another one of our sponsors who's been uh, exceptionally good to us, Prize Picks. Um, if you're not aware, with our promo code FEELS12, they will match your first deposit up to $100. Again, our promo code is FEELS12 on that. And as the NBA playoffs you know, get into full swing, I know Dustin's been paying attention, His, uh, especially the NHL, these Florida Panthers, holy cow. With that win over the Boston Bruins, I'm not even a hockey guy, but I tuned in for Game 7. And if there's one thing that I'm not going to do, it's miss a Game 7. And uh, I'm also going to not miss it with prize picks. Uh, With our promo code FEELS12, uh, uh, with your first match, uh, your deposit is matched up to $100. That's a pretty darn cool deal. So um, check them out. At Prize Picks, download it on the App Store, Google, Android, iPhone, whatever. I don't, I don't know all that, but you can find it wherever you, you know, get your other apps. So we'll get into listener questions. I think we've only got a couple tonight, but let's go ahead and get them pulled up. Uh, from Sam at GoPokes02, what do you guys think the chances are that softball wins the series or at least a game this weekend against OU? Um, as always, we kind of mentioned a little bit of this, but I, I do think that they're going to win one. I don't think that they're going to win the series, though. Um, I think OU just is overwhelming offensively, overwhelming with pitching. And I think Oklahoma State does a good job of as good a job as you can do without being OU of countering that uh, with some really solid hitting and pitching of their own. But as Dustin laid out, they've got three hitters over 400 one who's right there, but in the 300s, three pitchers with like ERAs under, what did you say, 1.1? That's absurd um, and kind of unheard of, frankly. So, Sam, I'll take the Cowgirls to get one, um, and I will be happy about that. Um, I, I'm just I'm thinking about the, the you know, Big 12 Championships showdown we had last year, how big a deal that was. I think OU will have a sour taste in their mouth from that, but Oklahoma State's not going to go in there scared. There's no chance, no chance that they do that, and it should be a rocking environment. Excited again, not to get into the superlatives of it, but to see it on the national stage. It's going to be sold out. I saw that they're putting um, risers in the outfield. That's a huge deal for for this program, for this university, for this you know, women's sports department, if you will, at Oklahoma State. Just a, a cool weekend all around. And I'll try to get up to Stillwater myself. Again, the 39-week pregnant wife, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that. So here's one, our last one from Corbett Klein. Any word on Musa? And is there any chance he comes back to Oklahoma State? I would I would never say never to that, um, but I would get pretty darn close with Musa. I, I, I think there's a little bit of weird... Um, tension there potentially i I'm, I'm not saying i know anything related to that but 
you look at look at some of the things that assistant coaches are tweeting. Um, just honestly get on social media or get off social media, but get on social media if you want to see a little bit of what I think the vibe is around the program right now. Uh, Musa Cisse leaving, uh, you know, is it has probably put a sour taste in some's mouth. Um, and additionally, if it was NIL related and Oklahoma State couldn't match it, which is part of my hunch, um, I, I, I could see there being some animosity as well. So um, I'm going to not say never, but I'm going to get really close and say, I do not see Musa Cisse coming back to Stillwater. It, it's important though, that they figure out a way to, to get a big man locked in, in this class. Bryant selling bang. You is a big name, a big option for Oklahoma state that I think fits the bill. Um, they're going to have to win a recruiting battle here though. I think Oklahoma state can do it. 12 and 10 guy. He's your starting center next year if he comes to Oklahoma State. And I think, I think, puts you in a position to where you could probably play Brandon Garrison at the four. I, I don't know that, but it it's not out of the realm of possibility and uh, excited to see how things come together. Again, I, I just hammer this point home. I am not hammering the panic button yet, but I am absolutely looking at it. Um, it's only May 1st. Oklahoma State is a late uh, entrant to the transfer portal historically. Um, I don't see that going any differently right now uh if i'm reading the tea leaves so uh corbett thanks for the question and i'll just say this before i sign off a big shout out to our man dustin for holding the fort down uh to start this podcast off it's very rare that a uh a conflict like that occurs we we had it all lined up and then uh didn't but uh a big thank you to him as always for uh just doing everything he does for the podcast and uh, a thank you to our our incredible listeners people who ask questions on twitter instagram uh, just a big thank you. I, I continue to be uh, stopped and it's a reminder that people are listening and uh, I personally appreciate it. It's a very cool thing and uh, we certainly love doing it and uh, definitely excited to get through the off season. It's already May 1st. We're going to be in fall camp before we know it. So looking really forward to that. Big thank you to Dustin. Big thank you to all of our amazing listeners um, and thank you to me. I'll, I'll thank myself. There's no problem in that. Just kidding. If you're not already, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at dust and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Have a great week. Go pokes.